Okay, right then. Hello and welcome to Culture Bites. I'm Inas Rafai. Um, actually, that's kind of weird for me. I, I don't think, before moving to the UAE, I'm going to confess something. Oh God, first lesson, first sentence, and I'm confessing something. Before moving to the UAE, I always called myself Inas Rafai because I lived in the UK and it was always really difficult to pronounce my name. So I've always been Inas Rafai and now I'm kind of like taking ownership of my real name, which is Inas Rafai, which feels really like strange, but really like lovely. And I think it's a really good segue to introduce my fellow Arabic sounding but yet not Arab friend. Hi. Farah. Hi. Hello. I have a similar name story. I'm Farah Andrews. I say Farah Andrews and I know I say my name wrong. <laughs> I get told uh, on an almost daily basis here I'm not well I don't say Farah a lot of other people do. But I'm going to always call you Farah because I just think that's your name and it means happiness and it makes me happy there we go so this podcast is all about culture and you know what what we've been experiencing experiencing a lot in the UAE I think when I first moved to the UAE I genuinely thought I'd had my culture fill I've reached maximum culture but actually coming here I've realized that there's so much yeah there is it's a whole world of arts, culture, entertainment to explore here in the UAE. And it's a joy to do it. I'm so excited about, so you're kind of new to the arts scene here. You've come from London, which we all acknowledge is That's like, brilliant. is a It's, it's a, a bit hub. too much, actually. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. Sometimes it's overwhelming. And I think people come here and they kind of think, oh, okay, that's it. like arts isn't going to be a part of my life anymore. I remember so vividly when I first moved here. It was I was wa- I was on the metro. I was walking along and I was kind of like, oh, I like I miss that vibey scene in London. Without kind of using awful words there, sorry, vibey scene. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's here though. It's here. And then I just realised, no, <laughs> you're a fool. It's there. You just have to go out and find it. And it's not deep underground. No, there is underground scenes to explore. I we can go. have a lot to learn. <laughs> But no, there is so much to enjoy here. And that's why we're doing this. I think that's it. And I think that this is like when I met you, which is it's a new friendship. So sorry, listeners, you are going to have to witness our friendship, our friendship, our friendship unfold on this podcast as well. Because I think that was something that really connected me to you was the fact that you have such an interest in arts and it's your job. Yeah. Oh, we haven't done that part yet. We haven't even said it. We haven't said anything about ourselves and our jobs. I am head of features at The National, which means my job is arts, culture, lifestyle, travel and our luxury magazine. So my job is kind of all the fun parts <laughs> of the newspaper, which is the best. <laughs> I mean, I have to say, I've come here to the National. I'm head of multimedia, which means I do all the video and podcasts. Hence why we're in this room, letting this happen. How we found ourselves okay. here. <laughs> well, we found ourselves here. But um, yeah, I'm just so new to the culture here. Um, and it's just been so good to connect with you and just also here at the National we find out about everything. So this podcast is a really good way for everybody, whether you're listening to this or watching this, to really get a grip with like what's going on in the UAE in terms of arts and culture. So here we are, my full name, Inas Rifai, and I am one of the hosts here at Culture Bites, and this is our first episode. And I'm Farah Andrews. Before we start, if you want to make sure you get all the episodes as soon as they come out, please subscribe on your favourite podcast app. 
Right then. So we've got lots of things to talk about. We had our first outing. We called it a school trip. We did call it a school <laughs> trip. I do think it was a bit of a school trip. So we, it was it was very good timing actually from the love. And we have to big, do a big shout out to Abu Dhabi. Louvre? Louvre? Louvre. Louvre. Apologies. That's me butchering. The French will be listening going, ah, oh, no. But yeah, Louvre is Louvre. my understanding of how to pronounce it. No, I think that's great. I think, look, that's one of the things I need to learn coming here, especially moving to Abu Dhabi, is how to pronounce the most important art gallery, art space, I think, um, in the country. Yeah. Really, really stunning space. If you haven't been, like, definitely, if you live in Dubai and you're thinking, oh, it's a bit of a drive away, definitely make the trip. It's beautiful it's an hour we can all do an hour in the car or in a taxi mm. so we're going to be chatting Louvre we're going to be chatting Louvre and the new exhibition there we're also going to touch on the writer's strikes which is happening and having a big effect on television and we're going to have our roving reporter man who's going to be in the studio with us telling us everything that's happening in in the UAE in our Man About Town segment I am so excited for that and I can't wait to welcome Man to the studio it's going to be great and there's also going to be some Taylor Swift chat no. will you indulge me? <gasps> we can go there <laughs> thrilled <laughs> okay so first let's talk about this then let's talk about the Letters of Light exhibition at the Louvre which uh, we went to together yep. and it's a really like it was quite atmospheric I would say like it's a basically it's a an exhibition which is bringing together all of the Abrahamic religions I think it kind of ties in right to the um, Abrahamic houses yeah so the exhibition has been put on kind of not hand in hand with the Abrahamic houses but in conjunction again it as you said it looks at the holy texts from the three religions so from Judaism Christianity and Islam I thought it was so good like I you know I'm Muslim I looked at the family tree I thought like at the very beginning of the exhibition there's a family tree of how the Abrahamic religions like all kind of relate to Abraham yeah and I thought it was like really well put together really kind of like simplified language I would say yeah at the beginning they make it's it's accessible right people can go in you don't so what I thought was very interesting the um, curator has told us that it is not necessarily an exhibition about religion it's an exhibition about religious texts and religious books which is the kind of foundation of what we saw and what we enjoyed there are such incredible pieces of religious history in that space well like there were pieces of the Dead Sea Scrolls there like I got very excited I think I might have jumped around a bit like first century yeah. Dead Sea Scrolls, like insane. If we, if you actually really contemplate the age of some of the, the some of the scriptures that were in that exhibition, absolutely mind blowing. And then, as you said, the exhibition is incredibly atmospheric. You enter, you go into quite dark spaces where the books have been given like kind of ample space to be enjoyed. That's one of my favorite things about the Louvre. I say it every time I talk about it. That it is a gallery museum with just so much space space is a luxury in so many of europe's museums you feel so crammed in i never thought you're like brushing against everyone else that's in there you're gonna and i mean like we all think of louvre paris and we think of the mona lisa right and you are terrifying to go into like sardines and you kind of and that affects your experience of enjoying these incredible pieces of art and history Mm. that is such a different experience here oh no you get so much space time and it's even just like I feel like it's it's kind of being created 
for you to feel at ease mm-hmm. in these spaces and to take your time. Like I was, I mean, <laughs> we shouldn't talk about the fact that I love the sofas everywhere. I, like, <laughs> I kept stopping and if looking at the If you can find a place leather. to sit down. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I do think that the space is Incredible. And yeah, like you were saying, the light is kind of put on all of the transcriptions inside of this exhibition. So you just feel like there's a focus on each piece and everything has its own space. Mm -hmm. And that was like made me feel a lot more connected to what I was reading, even though some of it, you know, there was there were things in. um, I, I mean, I looked at one Quran that was written in China. You know, yeah. like really beautiful. It does such a good job of illustrating how global religion is. The fact that nothing, it was nothing's pigeonholed in that space. You have religious texts written all over the world, and it's beautiful. And then you go, then as you move out of the very dark, dark kind of atmospheric rooms, we move into a space where they kind of talk about the progression of how religious texts have become written and how they're mm. the kind of how sacred it is at the time when when people were given the honor of recreating these religious texts. And that room is like vivid and orange and yellow yeah. and bright. And it could, we both walked in and commented on how the energy had changed in that yeah. space. And it we it's not our job to do an audio tour of this <laughs> exhibition. <laughs> we love the curators though, so well done. Yeah, it's phenomenal. What was your highlight? Okay, so my highlight was actually the end. Yeah. (laughs) So you kind of walk into this dark room and there's, I would say it was like a sculpture light piece. And it kind of made me feel like something I wanted to go around, similar to how you go around the Kaaba. Like it had a kind of like feeling of kind of like oneness and bringing together and circular that I really, I really enjoyed. It's a super immersive art piece. It's called Unseen by a Saudi artist called Mahana Chono. And it's, you've described it perfectly. It's like, it's light and it's, you walk around it. It's quite a meditative space. Yes, yes. You can kind of really, it, we both walked in and was like instantly very calm, which so many places of worship have that same effect yeah. on people. It was very, it's not a, it's not a literal no. translation of any of what we had just seen, but it was just, a, I thought, quite a beautiful modern take on the experience we just had. Yeah, I think it was really good. And it was kind of like, it was a really nice way to end yeah. the the exhibition. So I think really well done to everybody who was involved in that. It was great. Just before you get to the unseen was my highlight. Oh. Which is the blue Quran. Oh, that was beautiful. It's quite a contentious piece. There, No, it's not a contentious piece. The date and where it was created is up for debate. People don't know. Even the um, exhibition lists it as, be it, it could have been Spain, could have been North Africa, could have been wow. Northern, it could have been Iraq. Wow. And it was written, it was created between the 8th and the 10th century. So it was a very mysterious piece of holy mm. text. But it is on this like, dark blue paper with gold writing. So it's acknowledged that it was created like someone with a lot of money, <laughs> someone yeah. with a lot of influence created these beautiful religious texts. And it's Amazing. I think it's like written in one of my favorite Arabic um, scripts. Uh, yeah. Calligraphy, yeah. which is, is it Kulfik? Mm-hmm. I'm looking at my producer now. Kulfik, I think. Yeah. <laughs> it's, really, it's really, really lovely. Um, really beautiful exhibition. So yeah, if you happen to be in Abu Dhabi or make the trip, I'm going to say make the trip. Yeah, it's worth making the trip. Yeah, make the trip. Come to Abu Dhabi and see the Letters of Light exhibition, which is running, I believe, until next year. Yeah, January the 14th. So you've got plenty of time. Fabulous. 
So you're going to tell us now about the second story on our list. Now, you've left it quite blank for me. Blank space. A blank space. Oh, maybe I've made a Taylor reference. Um, So you've left a blank space on the running order today. Right. Tell me what's going on. Why is Taylor written on my notes? Right. This is not my time to say I'm leaving the national because I'm not. But I am going to. <laughs> Today's <laughs> last episode. <laughs> but I am saying that over at USA Today, they're hiring a Taylor Swift reporter. And I am saying. That's your dream job? I'm overqualified. <laughs> <laughs> so wait a second. Is it really enough Taylor Swift concerts happening? What is going on? Like, okay, I understand you're a huge Taylor fan. Explain right. the craze. You want me to explain being a Taylor Swift fan? There is no time. Okay. <laughs> this, isn't a Taylor's, this isn't a Taylor Nation podcast. How yes. could it warrant its own job? Right. It's not only... A, so they're hiring two reporters. They're hiring a Beyonce reporter and a Taylor Swift reporter. Oh, so they're Which not, is mm. mega. The I, I have read the job descriptions today. So if anyone notices that I've been looking at different jobs, it's only it's been pure research, guys, pure research. <laughs> and um, So it's USA Today is looking for two different journalists... And they are yeah, seeking reporters to chronicle the music, fashion, cultural and economic influence of the artists. And I think that's, I mean, that's broad. Both of those singers are on tour at the moment. They are making massive headlines with huge. I mean, I read a stat somewhere that Taylor Swift coming to your town is like the Super Bowl coming to your town. Like yeah. in terms of what it does economically. But Taylor Swift is doing it four nights in a row and those American footballers just do it for like an hour across <laughs> okay. four hours. <laughs> okay, so we're definitely with a Swiftie. Um, but yeah, I think like it is incredible like the amount, and I don't know, I've heard rumours as well that she really likes to share the money across everybody who works on the show. Oh, and I mean like Taylor, yeah, that's a that's a, a big part of kind of the conversation. She has, she... Um, make sure that everybody who works on the tour has like is treated very well they're getting big bonuses and that that's Lovely. very like a lot of economic parity with Taylor Swift here at the national we've written about the kind of like economic impact that Taylor Swift's tour has had on the US economy like she wow. when she goes to towns and she is just the money is just being plowed in Beyonce's tour has made something like 1 billion dollars which it's like the money is it's not small money. <laughs> I'm just thinking, like, we've definitely moved, haven't we, into, like, seeing more live performances. I think, like, you know, I, I was talking the other day with a friend about, like, the death of music videos. Like, people aren't yeah. so interested anymore in music videos, and we've kind of moved away from it. But we still love, love seeing people live. There's, like, for a good few years now, records, CDs, singles haven't been the way that musicians make money. They make money when they hit the road wow. and they are on tour for these eight-month-long tours, whether they are domestic or they're international. For, I think it was it was pre-COVID that I remember reading that Bon Jovi was like one of the most lucrative bands in music. And I was like, how? Like they aren't putting out new music. That didn't make sense to me. But then they're just always on tour and they're always doing these big stadium spaces. So they might they, they won't still be the most lucrative band in music, but they in like the last five years, they've been up there as making some of the most money in music. And that's not because people are belting out always on Spotify. It's because they are going and they're watching them live. And and when they go and watch these bands live, they don't just go and pay pay the ticket. They buy the t-shirts. A tote. They pay for hotels. They buy the tote. They buy food and drink when they're there. It's, they're just massive money makers. Yeah. I went to Harry Styles this summer and it was, I mean, I paid to get to London to go watch Harry Styles. (laughs) 
<laughs> I bought merch. We bought like food and drink around Wembley. I didn't pay for a hotel because I stayed at my friends. So sorry about that to the hotel industry. <laughs> to, the, to the Wembley economy. No, but I think that's I think that's really good. It's really, it's really, really interesting to see how the impact of like live music it does have a huge impact. And over here, like I cannot wait. And I'm sure in new episodes, we're going to talk about live music here in Abu Dhabi yes. and in Dubai and everywhere else in the UAE because it's so exciting. Like this summer, Guns N' Roses came. Yeah, there's so, and the fact that we've now, do we have two massive arenas that are both indoors, the Etihad Arena and the Coca-Cola Arena in Dubai and Abu Dhabi. So there is, like it, music doesn't just have to be a kind of November till March commodity anymore. A winter we moment. can have these amazing acts coming all year round. I did want to say about the reporter jobs. Oh, okay. They haven't been without criticism. Oh. Yeah. Of, from I mean, everything is criticized somewhere. <laughs> but people have sort of raised an eyebrow the fact that USA Today, that there have been massive job cuts at the newspapers at the public, uh, at the so houses. was this a PR stunt? Then uh, there is the mm. yeah. Are they just going to hire an intern who's grossly underpaid? Oh, you have to hope not. The on LinkedIn, it's they have a salary listed. Okay, and so it isn't as a unpaid. It's definitely not an unpaid job. And yeah, my interpretation of it is probably that this is more of a it's a muse if this just said music reporter and then the person was mainly focusing on Taylor Swift this wouldn't have made we wouldn't be talking about that yeah. right now would we but obviously it gets a lot more it's clever yeah it's clever who would you if we had to have a reporter assigned to just one artist who would we have Ooh, here in the mm. Middle East. I mean, Amr Diab just came yeah. recently. I'm, I mean, who doesn't love Amr Diab? I think like... Um, Sometimes it feels like I have a full-time Amr <laughs> reporter. The amount we write about him. I think he'd probably be really big and up there. I think that there's a few um, new up-and-coming stars as well that I think are like definitely gaining, gaining a lot of traction. But he's just the, the first guy that comes to mind. I think really on the underground scene going to that, I think there's... a amazing Arab DJs that are like coming up and like really getting a lot of traction like even at Boiler Room like Boiler Room hosted like I think her name is Salha mm -hmm. and Nuria I saw Nuria actually earlier this year she was amazing um, and I think like yeah there's a lot of like these really cool young Arab DJs that are coming up that I really enjoy listening to Okay, so now I want to take the conversation somewhere else. I want to take it somewhere new. Yes. We're going to get serious now. Hollywood <laughs> writer strikes. This has been an ongoing thing. Like You're going to have to fill me in a little bit here um, because I think it's really important that we talk about it because it does affect so much of the arts industry. And things that I hadn't really quite considered, things like chat shows. You'd think chat shows are just people chatting like this but actually they have teams of writers behind yeah of course like Jimmy Fallon doesn't stand up and just have everything off the cuff he has got people that write his script people that write his monologues and that that's why we've as you say think it isn't just a case of oh the new series of XYZ isn't going to come out that the whole whole of Hollywood industry has been affected, whether that is television, whether that's streamers, and whether that's the big budget movies that we have kind of anticipated were going to be put on hold. So yeah, of course, there's a number of productions that have literally ground to a halt. We've got like looking at like the new Gladiator that has just stopped. Oh, And then there's 
Can I tell you? Can I tell you my secret? You're in Gladiator. (laughs) I wish. No, I'm really. I was really excited. Okay, forgive me for being very much part of the noughties generation, but I was really excited about Lindsay Lohan, our Dubai-based. Dubai-based resident. There's nothing guilty about this secret. Lindsay Lohan was going to come back Freaky Friday too, and it's being postponed. Yeah, so our girl Lindsay lives in Dubai, spends all of her time here by all accounts. She was meant to be back with Jamie Lee Curtis in Freaky Friday too, but it has been paused. That doesn't mean it isn't happening. Yeah, but it's just affected so many things. I think there's going to be a huge knock-on effect. I think, like, I don't know if there's any other films that have been postponed or delayed so there's about 30 films that have currently that are in production that have been put on pause and then the kind of knock-on of it is that it isn't just about the filming it's about promoting so it's like red carpets are being held back so films are still coming out that doesn't break the strike so we've just had equalizer three that's come out of denzel washington the film has done very very well denzel has done no press for it. So there is still like a kind of conversation about films that can come out without the actors doing interviews, red carpets and everything supporting it. Sorry, sorry, sorry for being like quite slow here. No. Um, so what So what? the actors are part of this? Yes. So this is a writer's strike and SAG-AFRA. So it's a, it's a combined strike. It's the writer's union and the actor's union. So do you remember when Oppenheimer came out? Huge. It was huge. Barbenheimer was a very, very big moment for all of our summer, <laughs> which was quite a quiet summer. Yeah. And j- halfway through the Oppenheimer red carpet premiere in London, the, ri- the actor strike was announced. And when that happened, all of the actors from the film got up and I left the cinema where they were watching that film because that was, they, they would have been breaking the strike. They would have been crossing wow. the picket line if they'd have stayed in that cinema. So that's so that's why we aren't seeing these big glossy red carpets. Wow. There have been some red carpets with celebrities on them and then there's been a lot of conversation like have they crossed the picket line if production companies are adhering to the kind of sh- strike terms from, okay. then they're allowing certain oh. there's like there's lots of like T's and C's and footnotes mm. to where and why people aren't crossing the picket line. So people are really feeling the pressure I suppose within the industry to stick together on this one. Yeah for sure. 100% is all about like the and the actors are using their positions of like in the public eye to draw attention to what the writers need. Wow. They are and they are making sure they're joining them on the picket line. You're seeing them kind of literally out there mm. holding the placards and they are kind of looking for the rights. And we had like rumors. I mean, lots of these shows, I mean, some of them are really big in America. So Drew Barrymore, I heard I saw some things in the news about how she was going to have a show. Now she's not going to have a show. Yeah. I mean, not that I watched that show. I think I only remember that one thing that went viral when she was like shouting in the rain. But I was that on her show? I can't remember. But anyway, <laughs> that was like, you know, that was that was like something which we felt like we'd move past something, but then it was actually taken away. Yeah. So she was gonna bring her show back. And she kind of had a workaround not using um, writers that are part of the union. And then oh, that's... Sneaky. Yeah. And then she, I think she th- thought she was doing the right thing. But then there's been a lot of like the classic Hollywood apology filmed in a mm. like, no makeup camera. Very, Lovely. very sincere apology. Oh, my God. Was... I hope I never have to do one of those. <laughs> <laughs> do you think, though, that this... Now, because this is mainly is this mainly affecting America? Will it give now space to other people? We had Squid Scam, huge Squid Game, you know Squid Game, Squid Scam. Let me say that one more time. 
So do you think though now, because of like, you know, this has had an effect mainly on America, do we think that there's going to be huge things that come out of outside of America? Like Squid Game was huge yeah. in the East. Like, could we get like, you know, the Middle Eastern Squid Game? So it's an interesting conversation to be having in 2023 because last time there was like a double strike was in the 60s. And that was when Holly Whoa. Hollywood was the only film TV yeah. driving force. Then there was the writer's strike in 2007. We'll remember that like Breaking Bad had a terrible first season because it only had like eight episodes. It was Everyone thinks that like the, people agree that the first season of Breaking Bad wasn't the best. And then it went on to become like one of the like a TV show that people consider like every episode to be like art. And that's because it mm. was kind of concluded after the writer's strike. So are we going to see that now? Yes, very likely. We're probably going to see shorter season runs in Hollywood productions. We're also going to see a lot of, yeah, like we've, we've spoken about a lot of delays. But Hollywood isn't the be all and end all anymore. Exactly. And it is not, like a global audience consumes Korean film, yeah. it consumes Korean music, it, film, it consumes Korean television. You've mentioned Squid Game. So many Korean soaps, dramas, everything are, um, they're just, they're always like top 10 on Netflix. Streamers make everything so accessible. Everyone can watch, consume, mm. enjoy this television. And, and then, yeah, we are seeing so many local production houses open up here mm. and that there is definitely an opportunity for I, lots of stories to be told from this region. Yeah, I've been really enjoying Saudi cinema, actually. Really interesting stuff is coming out of Saudi Arabia at the moment. And I think um, I, I watched like a great, I think it was called Masamir, which is a cartoon. It's actually on Netflix. Oh, I've not seen it. Yeah, it's really great. And it's kind of like these, these quite comical characters. Um, I think they must have been taken from a comic or they must be a history that I'm just ignorant to mm -hmm. but really interesting really fun play on Saudi culture like I think they talk about like even fast food in one episode I just found it really entertaining and I was like oh this is great like I'm glad that Netflix is also promoting things which is happening you know in in our region here yeah for sure the other thing that we're probably going to see come out of it which is a much less highbrow impact is a big uptick in reality tv <gasps> I'm not mad at that I quite like oh, yeah. reality <laughs> I don't know how much I can take. It's but... not all I want to watch, but okay. because we, it's literally unscripted television, right? So oh, of course it can be. Every channel can ha be making countless reality shows just to fill the gaps, fill the fill everything they have on their schedules. Streamers can have as many as they want. Like it's yeah, I think we are going to see a lot of reality TV this autumn. Okay, well let's go for it. Okay. <laughs> Done. Done. <laughs> right, so let's get into it and let's introduce our, wait, should we do a drum roll? <laughs> man about town. Yes, in each episode we're going to be joined by our reporter Man as he meets artists, passionate performers and creative minds who are shaping the cultural landscape here in the UAE. Welcome, Man. Hello, everyone. It's Man, Man about town. Man. Yeah, nice to meet you all. What... Have you got for us this week? So there's lots of cool stuff happening because the art season is just about to start mm -hmm. in the UAE. So the first thing, which I think everybody should check out next week, is a Pablo Picasso painting that has never been in the Middle East before. It's going to be Whoa. in Dubai. Yeah, big deal. This is huge. It's huge. huge. It's huge. So it is going to be in Sotheby's DIFC on Monday and Tuesday, so the 25th and the 26th of September. And the painting is called... I will butcher this because it's in French. Um, Mademoiselle Le Montre, which means woman in watch. 
or Woman with Watch. Um, and it's one of his most famous portraits. And it's a portrait of uh, his mistress. It was a very scandalous story at the time. <gasps> uh, her name was Marie Therese Walter. Uh, and the reason why this painting is a big deal is because she is wearing a watch, which was kind of rare at the time. So Picasso was obsessed with watches. And of all his portraits, he's only painted three women wearing a watch. And at the time, which was 1932 was when the painting was painted, watches were just becoming fashionable for women wow. to wear. Okay. So it was a real sort of like interesting point in the painting. that a moment. A, yeah, a moment. It's like now if we were to like, paint somebody with uh, their Google glasses. Something something like that. <laughs> or like me and my Fitbit. Except more fashionable. <laughs> I don't think a Google glasses <laughs> or a Fitbit are, are particularly fashionable. Um, so it's a really important painting from that perspective. And also his relationship with um, Marie was sort of controversial. And also she was considered his golden muse. So most mm -hmm. of his famous portraits of women had her in them. Wow. So he left his wife at the time, Olga Kokovha, I think her name was, for Marie, and they had a child. Uh, and yeah, she was the main, that she was that girl for Picasso okay, in so many wow. of his paintings. I'm a huge Picasso fan, absolutely. I think it was the first time I ever cried at a painting. Oh, really? It was Weeping Guernica? Woman. Yeah, oh, Weeping, Weeping Woman. Woman. Oh, okay. Beautiful painting. Yeah, yeah. Really, really lovely. What else is there, though? Tell what us. else? Okay, so um, if you're interested to see a really cool show, there is the Art Jamil show at the Art Jamil Center. Uh, and it is a, a group show, which is a collaboration between Art Jamil and the Victorian Albert Museum in London. Oh, wow. Awesome. Yeah. Where is this? In Dubai? Yeah, in Dubai. It is out. Um, where is it? It is. Yeah, it's kind of, it's like pretty far away pretty from far away. these parts in Abu Dhabi. Beyond, beyond okay, there. Yeah. Um, it's a beautiful museum. Uh, and it has a really cool cafe, and it's right on the water. Um, so it's a really great day out for the whole family. But this exhibition in particular, it's part of the Art Jamil Prize, which has been going on for, I think, five years now. And it's in collaboration with the Victoria Albert Museum, like I said. And they invite artists to create work based on Islamic traditions. Mm -hmm. Now, what's really cool is that this group show has eight artists, and the range of work is so varied. So you have um, video, you have installation, you have sculpture, you have illustration, printmaking. Oh, cool. And they're also different, but they all have some kind of thread to do with Islamic tradition. Okay. Um, which is really cool. I really love it when you put lots of artists together and then you give them a theme and then they all run with it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's always so varied what people come up with. And I always think that's really, it's really good to see. It's cool as well because each artist is from somewhere in the region. So there's an Someone from India, from the UAE, from Iran, Lebanon, all of them have very different perspective and interpretation of Islamic traditions, which kind of reminds everybody that, you know, Islam is so varied and diverse and how we experience it is very different. Beautiful. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I can't wait for that. Have you said how long that's going on for? It's on until Jan. So we have some time. Okay, people have time but it's always a great out. time to go um, with the family, I think, to the yeah. museum. Nice. And um, so lots of stuff going oh, on. Oh, sorry. It's in Jadaf. Jadaf, uh, Art Jamil. Geotag. Okay. And then, so we were just recently, talk well, recently, earlier, we were just talking about uh, what's been going on with film, but mm. there are some new things that are coming out at the moment, aren't there? Yeah. So one thing I was very lucky to see before it's officially out this Friday is The Continental, which is a new uh, series by Amazon, which is part of the John Wick universe. So if, oh, yeah, you're a big John Wick I'm fan. I'm a huge John Wick yeah? fan. You know, I've never seen any until I watched this show. And, and I was like, like I, I really enjoyed it. If you were 
just hypothetically, talking to someone that had never seen anything John Wick, how would you describe it? Oh, it's just kind of like really, really fun um, kind of action. So in the film series, I don't know if it's still Keanu, but in yeah, the film series, Keanu, yeah. is it brilliant? So he's just kind of like this, you know, he's got a vengeance. He's going to come after you. But there's this this layer of normal society, which he kind of goes under. So imagine like there's a web and then there's the dark web. It's like he's operating in the dark web. Mm. It's really fun because there's a part. So he goes to a hotel, for instance, and he's like, he needs a room. But instead of just giving his credit card, he gives a gold coin and then he gets to a different part of the hotel. And it's like, oh, no he's part of the underbelly of society. So Ironically really enough, it sounds like every Keanu Reeves movie. <laughs> Which yeah. I'm a huge fan of. Yeah. <laughs> these kind of action films are like my pop culture blind spot. I just don't acknowledge that they exist. I'm going to educate you. Both? Both, yeah. Well, I mean, Man's seen it now. I, I've seen the first one and it's quite good. There's four of these John Wick movies. But, you know, what you're saying is all true. However, the show, The Continental, is a prequel to all of that. So it ah. tells you about how this hotel, The Continental, which eventually becomes a safe haven for hitmen, which is where Keanu Reeves comes into play, how it sort of began. And um, the main guy from the movie, not Keanu Reeves, Winston, not Churchill, Winston Scott. <laughs> that would be impressive. <laughs> that would be interesting. <laughs> Winston Scott. So it's this, his sort of origin story, how he became the manager of the hotel and Amazing. how he kind of created this this whole world for all these future assassins. So it's set in 1970s New York, uh, and it's very, very, very stylized. It's really a beautiful show to watch, like the colors, the lighting, um, the cinematography. And what's very cool, which is also in the John Wick films, is the um, fighting scenes. They kind of combine um, gunplay and martial arts and really cool camera angles. So it's quite entertaining to watch from that perspective. And it has a very cool soundtrack. Ooh. It's lots of 1970s 70s. music that okay, are yeah, now covered I'm, by, yeah. I have got to admit, me in. <laughs> I mean, any excuse for us to go back to the 70s. Yeah. I think I was born in the wrong era. But um, the 70s, like fashion, I have got a fringe jacket. Maybe I'll wear it to one episode. Uh, fashion, music, it's just beautiful. But what's cool about the music is that they've taken like really famous 1970s songs, but they're covered by more modern artists. So, you okay. know... Um, What's Frank Sinatra's daughter's called? Nancy Sinatra. You know her Bang Bang song? Yeah. So somebody else does that in a more like a country twang, which is during a fight scene, which okay. is really cool. It's really, really different. That, That's really fun. This yeah. might be a silly question, but there's no such thing as a stupid question. No. no. Um, is Keanu Reeves in this? No, he's right. not. So that's why it's not reached Registering. Me <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's not in it, but there's some... Mel Gibson is in it, if you're a Mel Gibson fan. Yeah, so he plays the... Um, Shock, but shocking. He plays the big bad um, antagonist in, okay. in the film. So he's a, and he, yeah, he kind of. It's interesting seeing Mel Gibson on our screens after a while now. It's I haven't been, seen him. It's been had, a while. He's had a moment, hasn't he's he? He's had away. a moment. I feel like this this uh, podcast we've actually mentioned gladiators and Mel Gibson. Oh wow! Okay, like two blasts from the past. <laughs> 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 so that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening, and we promise to get you loads more interesting stories for next week. And if you have enjoyed this episode, please follow and subscribe on your favourite podcasting app. And don't forget to tell all of your friends all about it. See you next week. Bye. Bye.